Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidt, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Very well, thank you. How are you guys? Yes, well, thank you. What's and news where with are you? Today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we are in Santiago in Chile. It's very lovely, nice and wow. warm. We're Chile, lovely kind of weather. Mm. Yeah, we really? went up, went did some viewpoints yesterday. Mm. Well, so yeah, a beautiful view here. of the city. And your photographs you, have been incredible in the last week or so. Oh, we were in Patagonia. It's just off its head, good down there. Such incredible scenery. You just can't. Coming from Australia, it's hard to kind of believe with those big snow-capped mountains and. You know, broad plains and all that. But even in Santiago, the Andes are surrounding the city in a, a lot of parts of it. So you get these big snow-capped mountains around the city, just beautiful. Anyway, enough about us and our adventures. What about you two? Swanee, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Have you got news for us? No. No oh, That's exciting. Right, I right. Know. I, I don't know, have I'm any sorry. news either. <laughs> yeah. Nothing as exciting as we've in Patagonia with snow-capped mountains and I have to extraordinary say views. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. don't think I've got anything that would stack up against that. No, it shits all over us right now. But <laughs> oh well, that's life. Salve. Oh, I suppose we'll introduce ourselves since we've got nothing else to say. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are trial, trial by, by wine. <laughs> And what are we drinking? Well done. Cracked open a ice cold can of Coke Zero. And the recipe? Delicious, delicious. Fantastic. I am alternating between soda water and I yeah. have a Delatite winery Sauvignon Blanc that I'm sipping. Well, I haven't started yet, but I will. And Clarkie and Woo? Delicious. Coffee by nice. any chance? Well, we, yeah, so we we thought we might mix things up and we did get a bottle of rosé yesterday from the Maipo Valley, which is in Santiago or in Chile, and we're mm-hmm. thinking of doing a winery tour there on Friday. So we thought, oh, we can just start a bit of wine tasting oh. before we start our tour. But I woke up to a barrage of messages and I've got a fairly full day today, so I feel like it's not wise to start on the rosé at 6 in the morning. So we're on the beautiful Hotel Instant Coffee, which is about as good as a beverage gets at this time <laughs> of the day. That's making the um, Coke Zero look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's such a treat. Every mouthful is uh, delightful. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway. All right, well. Who's got a story? Swanee. I do. Okay, so my sources for this story are moviemaker.com, mamamia.com, Wikipedia, thank you very much, and <laughs> Netflix. So Ooh. I can tell you the title <laughs> this time. The title of the documentary the that I watched was The man who called disappeared with a canoe. Canoe. <laughs> it's, it's it is pretty obvious. Well, it's not that obvious, but it does it's, it does speak to what we're about to hear about. And the name of the documentary was "Don't Pick Up the Phone." <gasps> there you go. Oh, sorry, don't pick like up that the phone. Horror movie. Don't pick up the phone. You're quite oh. right. What was that called? Don't answer the phone or something. Mm. We it was oh, on it was um, the one where they said, "Have like you checked the video, children?" Like here we go. Correct. That's it. One of the three the VHSs that Shay Panda had, a.k.a. Swanee, <laughs> in her house was that yeah. and some that other horror me. film. Yep, Jaws or something. Yep. Every Jaws. time we talk about uh, no, videos, no, no. they're it's really one. inappropriate things that the your parents art. decide to yeah. have. Yep, yep. Okay. I, just, I never watched it. I just used to look at the cover art on the sleeve of the video. And get scared. <laughs> it used to scare the hell out of me, yeah. And I've heard, I hear people talk about it, but I've never actually watched any of these things myself. I don't have the appetite for that. But uh, mm. when I saw this and, that, and the title of it, that's what sort of got me into it, to be perfectly honest. When it was called yeah. Don't Pick Up the Phone, I thought, oh, that sounds like something for me. I said, that's, you know how there's always a reason why I choose a story or I'll start to investigate. Yeah, that is yeah. literally the link, Schmidt. You it. got it in one. 
That it's funny it. though because it's if you said don't answer the phone, that could be like the story of my life. The number of phone calls that I get <laughs> from numbers I don't know and I just don't answer them because they are invariably someone trying to sell me something I don't want. So, you know, Correct. it's not as frightening these days or trying to scam me. Oh, not yeah, as frightening. I, just, like I literally just don't answer the phone. <laughs> right. So our story takes place <laughs> in about a 10-year period from 1994 to 2004 and it is a crime or crimes that occurred across the US but most definitely in rural areas. Lots of sort of little towns, small to medium towns but definitely rural areas. From a geographical point of view, I don't, ha- I don't have the map out for you directing you to anywhere yet, but I, yeah. I will do a little bit later. <laughs> but it will come. <laughs> yeah, because there's just so many places. I think our story is across, I think, like 32 states. Like, it was quite widespread. I'm going to start the story in April of 2004. So that's clearly the back end Ooh, of the right, period to the that end. I was talking right. about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So in April of 2004, April 9th actually, I'm going to take you to a McDonald's. A McDonald's in a place called Mount Washington. And Mount Washington is actually in Kentucky, which I would never have guessed, but there you have it. There, um, during uh, I think it was sort of an afternoon shift, the phone rings and the assistant manager, a woman called Donna Summers, Yes, really, Donna Summers. No. <laughs> she just does. Oh, has she? I didn't know that she has. Uh, Are you sure? Some hot stuff. Uh, Donna Summers just I died, know. I thought. Jesus. Anyway, keep going. It rings a bell. Trial by wine first with the latest. I don't know. Keep I going. Know she had, uh, she uh, no, not like her. The assistant no, manager no, maybe, else. not the singer. <laughs> oh, yeah, in any minute now. Sorry. So yeah. Donna Summer That's picks right. up the phone. Yeah, so a call is made to a McDonald's in um, Mount Washington, Kentucky, and the assistant manager, Donna Summers, takes that call. Sorry, even more embarrassing. Actual Donna Summer died in 2012. <laughs> I mean, I'm not oh, laughing so she that she while. died. Oh. I'm laughing the at the singer fact did. that we were like, has she? I didn't know she died. Donna Summer, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. She so died 11 years ago. Died May 17. Exactly, and we're going, oh, no, did, did she just die? Oh, she hasn't died, has she? Sorry, she has. Oh, Sorry, I was about to call you out on needing to make an apology to her for calling her early death. Jesus. No, I called her late death. <laughs> I gave her an extra 11 years. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Donna has taken the call in the office and mm-hmm. there is a man that has identified himself as a policeman, Officer Scott, has called her and then proceeds to give Donna Summers a vague description of a slightly built young white woman with blonde hair who is has been suspected of theft within that McDonald's. And then the officer goes on to say to her, I think we've had a call, um, sorry, not I think, we've had a call and I believe that one of your staff members has, there's been a robbery and they've taken money from a, a customer. So with the description of the, the slight hair. From the, a customer? Yeah. So the slightly built young white woman <laughs> that he's referring to Donna Summers believes that it, it fits the description of one of her team members called Louise Ogborn. Louise is oh. 18 years old and she's currently on duty at the restaurant at that very time. The police. But it was they, they, Suzanne Summers who died recently. Sorry. Yes, Suzanne Summers. Oh, oh, yes, Suzanne Summers died yesterday. Sorry. Yeah, yes, you're right. Yes, yes. I now I know what you're talking oh, about. All oh, right, oh, Louise. Yep. Is she oh, related to Anne Summers? No, this is very confusing. No, I don't think so. <laughs> A policeman has called spoken to the assistant mm-hmm. manager and said one of your staff members is suspected of theft and then that police officer who's identified himself as Officer Scott uh, demands that uh, that this girl be searched at the restaurant because there are no officers available at that moment to handle such a minor matter. So they bring Louise Ogborn into the back office and at that point and so she's the they, girl who matches vaguely that vaguest yes, vague yes, description. Yes, yeah. And they bring yeah. her, uh, the only slight white blonde girl there. Yeah. Mm. So she's brought into the to the back office and at that point they say to her, look, we've got the police on the phone. They think that there's, um, you know, they're saying that someone has suggested that you've committed a crime and that you have stolen something. They're giving, they're telling us that, you know, we're going to have to do a search 
So she's brought into the office. She's ordered to remove her shoes to start with. And then they, bit by bit, she's taking um, directions from the police officer. And he's Mm. then asked her to take all of Louise's clothes off and put them in a bag. And they then must be taken out to her car and locked in her car. What? So this 18-year-old girl is now naked in the office of the McDonald's. This is the old white coat thing, they give isn't her it? Someone in all the aprons. They give her an apron. <laughs> yeah, to partially cover herself. And what is quite remarkable about this is that the entire thing is filmed because there's a security camera on Louise Ogden, Ogden, Ogburn, the whole time because it's in a you know an office which probably has a safe or whatever else in there. Yeah, so yeah. the the entire interaction where you see Donna Summers take the call, uh, you see her bring Louise in, you start to see her bit by bit take her you know have her take her clothes off. She's putting them in a bag. They cover. There's like a you know like in fast food restaurants there seems to be like a, a glass. There's a, like a door with like a glass panel so you can see yep. what's going on. They cover that with a garbage bag so pull so a blind for down her on that. discretion. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing so they can't see it. They do that, you know, to protect her. That's what the police officer has told Louise Summers to do, so she's done that. And then there was also another assistant manager who was present at the time, Kim Dockery. Dockery believes she was there as a witness to the search, so she she was there for a short period of time. When I say short, not not like two minutes short, an hour short. Why did they have to put the clothes in the car? We'll get to that. That's a very good question. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. So after right. one hour, I'll, Kim Dockery I'll Dockery's, try to be patient. And Summers says. But also I'm pretty sure it's pretty unusual to ask someone to do a strip search in a, in a work office. Like even if <laughs> this person was oh, stealing from the set and they were going to be searched, the- they do it back at the police station. Maybe they not at some of the it. advertising agencies I've worked with back in the day, but um, <laughs> after bar night. But also now that you're track. naked, we're going to take your clothes out to the car and give you an apron. What? That's what's really important. Well, like, by the way, whose car was it? It was her car. Yep, that makes no sense, right? Why would you take all her clothes off her, then take the no clothes sense. away from her and then put them in her car? Put them in her car where she can drive away with them. Right, right. Like, okay. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, she's going to get her clothes back. So at this point, the assistant manager has gone back and then after a, a little bit longer, uh, Donna Summers tells the police officer that she's she's needed to work at the restaurant counter. They're coming up to their busiest sort of rush hour. I think it's like evening, you know, dinner time kind of thing. So the police officer then tells Summers to bring in someone whom she trusts to assist with the investigation. So first of all, she asked Jason Bradley, one of the restaurant's cooks, to watch Louise Ogborn. When Jason Bradley comes in... For what? When the, he, he asks to, to keep an eye on this girl because, remember, the police, they've told her <gasps> that... The, and, and Suzanne Summers is outside. She's she got to get back to the counter. Yeah. She's, She's got to work. work. <laughs> They weren't sending Louise out to work naked in a, in an apron, which is actually what I thought you were saying at first. Look, policeman, I know she's probably stolen from us, but we're very busy. Can we just get her out the front serving fries? Yeah, exactly in right. Nothing but That's, an apron. <laughs> don't mind. And we'll surveil don't her while she's doing that, so it'll be fine. It makes sense that the cook's keeping an eye on her from there, but yeah. And anyway, yeah. if they're busy, what? How come he can be spared? He's supposed to be cooking the burgers. <laughs> Well, he's anyway. not having any of it. So Bradley Cook. Good. Bradley Cook. Bradley the Cook. The Cook. Nice buns. <laughs> he he gets out there and he's given the phone, right, because all the instructions are coming through from the police officer who's making, who's very calm, very professional. Is it an alleged police officer? Is of there, course it is. I don't yeah. know. Is there any calm. evidence that he's a police officer? No, apart from oh, I'm- He's telling them that he is. Well, was he? He's he was, telling them what he is, and he's Scott. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Officer, <laughs> Officer Scott, yeah. Officer Scott, yeah. So when Bradley comes out, because remember, Donna Summers has now gone to the help at the front, doesn't say front desk, the front counter, she's serving. But Bradley refuses to um, take any further action. So he's taken the call, you know, the phone, and Officer Scott has said, you you need to, you know, take her apron away. And he's like, I'm, what? no, thanks. So I'm not getting involved. But all he does is he just leaves. So I think he goes back to cooking or whatever else. Because Donna Summers needs to be working because they're so busy and she needs someone, you know, to help her out that she can trust, she calls her fiancé. So she calls her her 
fiance whose name I've Walter Nix. Walter Nix. And he arrives at the restaurant. He wasn't there. He arrives to help her out. So once he gets there, he takes over from Donna Summers. He's out the back and he's on the phone talking to Officer Scott. So he arrives and you can see him. He takes the foot and he starts taking he starts what taking is instructions. Doing? Is she crying? Yeah. She's upset. Oh, she's shaking. She's distraught. What the hell is going on? She's got no she's got all the gear off. Mm. No one believes her. They're they're following instructions. And, you know, there's this very, you know, legitimate sounding police officer on the other end of the line saying, you know, she, she needs to be held, she can't leave, we will be mm. there, we will get there, we can't at the moment, just keep her where you've got her. So this is well over an hour into this point and then what happens is we now start watching Walter Nix obey the caller's instructions for the next two hours. Nix, Walter Nix, who's uh, Donna Summer's fiance, he removes the apron but at this point, Officer Scott says, well, you know, she could be concealing something, so what you're going to have to do is get her to move oh, around. No. So he has Ogborn, has her wearing nothing. What's he going to say, squat and cough? Yeah. Oh, God. First of all, she has to dance and then she has to perform jumping jacks in case something should fall out. <gasps> Nix then ordered her, because remember, he's getting it secondhand from Officer Scott, yeah. Nick then ordered her to insert her fingers into her vagina and expose it to him as part of the search. Oh, that's how. That's exactly how it works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He also ordered her to sit on his what a lap, moron. and she had to kiss him because there was a chance that they would be able to smell if she'd been drinking alcohol. So these are all the things that he's being told and reasons why he would do this. You know, you have to come and say, "I need to. Sm- I need to know if you smell of alcohol. <clears throat> kiss me." So this poor girl. Is He's an idiot. A mess, but she's doing what she thought. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> when she refused to do some of this stuff, he then has her on all fours where he's spanking her until she promises to do what, what she'd been asked. This is like some bizarre Ooh. porn film that they've tapped into the CCTV or something. Yeah. yeah. The caller actually That's also I, spoke it's... to Louise Ogborn and demanded that she do what she was told or face worse punishment. So she she could hear a lot of the stuff as well. It's not like, do you know what I mean? She, she was also under the impression yeah, that, yeah. that you know, it was a police this is what was saying this. She was yeah, terrified. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What could be worse than this? This is bad enough, right? Recalling the incident later, Louise Ogborn was said, I was scared for my life. And I mean, of course she would have been. After Louise Ogborn had been in the office for two and a half hours, she was ordered to perform oral sex on Walter Nix. Surely by this <gasps> time, someone might say, hey, on a minute. Yeah. Oh, no. Donna Summers Donna returned to the office periodically. And during these times, Ogden was instructed by the caller to cover herself with the apron. You need to tell her to give you oral sex. Mm. You don't go along with that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's got a lot to do with this investigation. This is ridiculous. Finally, after we're now at two and a half hours, the caller, after the oral sex, permits Walter Nix to leave on the condition that Summers would find someone to replace him. After Nix left, he called a friend and told them, I have done something terribly bad. With Nix having left and short on staff due to it being dinner time, which I mentioned before, the dinner time rush, Summers needs somebody else to replace Walter Nix. She spotted Thomas Sims, the restaurant's maintenance man, who had stopped by the restaurant for dessert. Oh, God. She told Sims to go into the office and watch Louise Ogbun. Thankfully, Sims, however, refused to go along with any of the caller's demands. At this point, Summers became suspicious and she decided to call a higher-level manager. Oh, my God. Three hours later. What? Whom the caller had apparently mentioned um, earlier and said that that he had been speaking to her on another line. So Mm -hmm. Donna Summers calls her boss and she discovers that she had been sleeping and had not spoken to any police officer. It's at this point she realises that the call had been fraudulent. Caller then abruptly ends the call. An em- employee immediately dials, I think it's star, well, it says star 69, so that must be what it was in the US To get the time. their number, yeah. Yeah, before another call could ring in, thus obtain the number of the caller's telephone. Summers was now hysterical and began apologising. Louise Ogbon, shivering and wrapped Louise? in a blanket. <laughs> yeah, was wrapped yeah, yeah. in a blanket and was released from the office after three and a half hours. Oh, my God. The police were called to the restaurant. What? They arrested Nix, Walter Nix, on a charge of sexual assault 
and began an investigation Good. to find the perpetrator of the scam call. The entire incident is recorded, as I said, in surveillance camera in the office. What's really important watching the surveillance is how this goes on over a long period of time. I think you know it's one thing to hear how utterly ridiculous this sounds. You think, oh, my God, who would fall for this or whatever else? But over time and the way that Louise is kind of nearly involved as well, it's it is people totally buying into what is being asked of them to do because they think it's somebody who they need to be fearful of authority, authority or the power yeah. of the person on the other end of the yeah, phone. Yeah, they yeah. Truly we talked about it. it. Yeah. yeah, we talked about it in, I can't remember, it was some other episode where we were talking about when you have people who, like the white coat. Oh, yeah, it was the, the Swedish, yeah, yeah. The Swedish, the Reykjavik story about the six who confessed crimes that they mm-hmm. didn't do. Yes. And it's yeah. just about that kind of the three hours, the leading up to the blackmailing and this idea, idea of an authoritative figure. People will do all sorts of terrible things to one another when they think that someone else is they're in charge and they'll just obfuscate responsibility. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, there's loads of what's the word after trials and research that's been done into it. Like in the documentary, they talk about it. So, you know, it's this idea that people are fearful of doing the wrong thing or, you know, not listening yeah. to what they do. And that's one of the key reasons that they talk about it happening in a rural area is because they think that people in rural a rural area might be more open to more susceptible um, to more, it. To, authority. to the authority, yeah. What happened at Donna Summers? I will come on to that. We're going to park that. She died in 2011, Schmidt. 2012, May 17th, I believe. 2012, yeah. sorry. Isn't that sad? 11 Looking years Looking for ago. some hard stuff. But Suzanne um, Summers, however, <laughs> died yesterday at age 76. Yes. But, right. <laughs> this time I know it's for real. I think that's the theme song <laughs> for this show. Okay. So <laughs> that evening uh, the local law enforcement arrive and the real ones yeah, and what, mm. there's a, what, what this won't sound real, but the chap's name is, I believe it's Buddy Stump, is the local. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But what's really sad is he, he knew Louise, so he didn't oh. realise that at first. And when he gets there, he looks at her and he's like, oh. Louise, he said, I knew her parents. He said, it became very personal for me at that yeah. point and I was going to find out who the hell this Officer Scott was. So well, I don't think he was part of the constabulary, but anyway. No, perhaps not. So as a first point of call, Buddy Stump. <laughs> and oh, this is where if I say it's 10 years of Ding, it. ding, oh. ding, 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 ding. It is all over the shop. Yep, everywhere. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to tell you a couple of other incidents. There are so many, but I'll just give you a bit of an idea of what was going on around the country before the Mount Washington, Kentucky incident, which is the one that I've told you, and which is the one where it really started, you know, the investigation. And as I said, pretty much most of them were videoed because a lot of the stuff had surveillance footage, but that one was just from start to finish, the whole thing plays out. You can tell exactly what's happened. So it was, you know, instrumental in seeing how these incidents would have played out in other places. And remember, the way technology works, 10 years is a big period of time, right? The difference between 94 and 2004, the way mm. we take calls, what we think of as a scam call now, yep. how we're so much more aware of what's going on. Even the way this would have been communicated, how would people have become aware of it? There is a way, but we'll, we'll get onto that. But it's not like people were looking at it potentially, you know, like on Facebook or getting their information from like yeah. social media. That's not the case, right? Each little yeah. rural place is probably very independent. There were numerous incidents prior to the Mount Washington incident in 2004, but there was always a pattern that the fraudulent call would go to a fast food joint. So whether it be, you know, McDonald's, there were Taco Bells, there were a couple that I hadn't heard of but but lots of mcdonald's basically as i said the majority were done to fast food chains but some actually were done to grocery stores and video rental stores so places where young employees young inexperienced you know sort of casual workers were there and first job early employment needed the job because they were you know that's the only employment they had in some cases you know these were it was done on you know it was all very deliberate as to why these places were so fertile for this crime With every hoax, a male caller who identified himself as a police officer or other authority figure would contact a manager or supervisor and would solicit their help in detaining an employee or customer. There were even customers where this 
happened to them. They were told that they were suspected of a crime. Theft or drug possession were the, the two key ones. And I think even from Louise's interrogation, you can see why it lends itself, doesn't it? Stealing something, concealing something on your body, in your body. In terms of strip searching, it gives you that real sort of scope to be able to get people's gear off quite quickly, I think. The caller would then provide a generic description of the suspect. So there was every chance that there's going to be someone in the within the staff that it would or customer base that would fit that description. Typically a young female employee, but a few victims had been male or older. The manager would recognise and then he would ask the manager to search that suspected person. The task would initially start as strip searches before gradually becoming more invasive and sexual in nature as the investigation continued. Eventually, the caller would have groomed the manager to the point where he could do almost anything asked by the caller, spanking, kissing, inappropriate touching, oral sex, even sexual assault and rape. Many of the incidents would last for hours before either the participants of the search realised the caller's a hoax or by intervention from a bystander. So here are some of the other sort of hoaxes. On December 16 in 1999 in Blackfoot, Idaho, a 16-year-old female server working at a local pizza parlour was taken to the manager's office after a phone call made by an individual identifying as Officer Davis for the Blackfoot Police Department, accused an employee of stealing a woman's purse with a $50 bill in it earlier that evening. The caller convinced the manager to strip search the employee and to provide detailed descriptions of her naked body, including her breasts and genitalia. The incident ended when a 22-year-old male colleague of the victim came into the room and intervened with the male employee confronting the officer on the phone before the caller hung up. On November 30, 2000, a female McDonald's manager in Leachfield, Kentucky, undressed herself in the presence of a customer. The caller had convinced her that the customer was a suspected sex offender and that the manager, serving as bait, would enable undercover police officers to arrest him. Is this like a Jedi Knight and he does these hand waves <laughs> to convince game. people to do what he says? I can't believe people oh, would do God. that. It's the power of of perceived authority. Yes. Kind of, but... No, it is. It is. It's the, remember I talked Jesus. about the white coat thing? I understand, well, I understand exactly what you're saying, people. but yeah, it's it. a random person ringing up saying, get someone naked. I... <laughs> I'm trying to think what it would I'm take telling you I'm a police for me person. as a it manager a of people to do that. Mm. <laughs> I can't. I cannot imagine me going. Yeah, okay. What we've got to do is get you naked now because oh, oh, maybe I'd detain someone. I'll, I'll t- hey, we're going to have to go down to the police station so that we can do this. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. not. Yeah, but I'm not going to ask you to take your pants off and flash your gash what at me. No, thank you. Oh, shit. <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. I, I don't understand. You guys both need to be doing lots of manu- You head. should be doing lots of um, courses on this. How to avoid <laughs> strip searching and doing cavity searching. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, we needed that training because otherwise, I'm so no, susceptible. No, no, I do not. That's someone else's job. Uh, in February 2003, <laughs> a phone call was made to a McDonald's in Hinesville, Georgia. The female manager who believed she was speaking to a police officer who was with the direction, sorry, the director of operations for the restaurant's upper management. That would scare the hell out of you, right? Yep. If, if it was McDonald's, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, took a female employee into the women's bathroom and strip searched her. She also brought in a 55-year-old male janitor who conducted a body cavity search of the woman to oh uncover hidden drugs. What? The cavity Why search would the entailed. Be doing, why would anyone be doing that? But uh, oh. this, uh, this is oh, no oh. yuck. There are, I believe, over one hundred calls were logged in terms of <gasps> similar types of crimes in thirty-two states. Jesus. So it was absolutely prolific. <gasps> and at the time that Buddy Stump became involved in. Mount Washington, Kentucky, you know, he, he starts doing a bit of research and he finds that there's another man in Massachusetts who's also been on the job for a while trying to find out who is this caller. And what it ends up being known is the strip search phone call scam, which doesn't exactly run off Roll the tongue, off the does tongue? it? Roll mm. off the tongue. Roll off the tongue. Roll off the tongue. Right, so back to April 2004. So we know all of these calls have, you know, been going on for about 10 years and then we know Louise Ogden on April 9th, 2004 is when Buddy gets involved 
and he's the one who does the, the word search and all of a sudden it's all there. All of these things are online but people haven't necessarily connected the, the dots. the word search, what, on the computer, on the internet? Or but it was 2004. In, or in the computer, sorry, in the police no, no, just on the computer, databases. just the internet. Yeah, not, not. Oh I don't believe right. it was. I don't believe it was police. On MySpace okay. or something. Yeah, <laughs> I just think he just looked up in what was the thing that one of those engines? What they were in the old Ask days. Jeeves. Yes, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of. <laughs> uh, so initially, Buddy thought that it must be someone local, right? You know, someone's parked outside the local McDonald's, looked in there, seen a girl that probably fits the description of Louise. Seen a blonde girl. Ogburn and then taken it from there. But in actual fact, that was not the case. And it was a call from Calcutta. This is where a bit of geography does come into it. Mm. Where they were able to do is find out that the call had been made from Panama City. Now, this ah. is amazing because I was talking about Panama last week. But mm. this is what threw me. There are two Panama cities and I ah, think I right. did know this but okay. I've forgotten. There's a Panama City, which is obviously the capital of Panama. Ah. It's in Florida. Panama Florida, City is right. a city, a county, no. whatever, in Florida. So he's in Panama City. Oh, sorry, he. The person can be traced or the phone calls. Um, can be traced to Panama. Traced. And the reason they can be traced is because it's actually not to a phone. It's to a AT&T phone card. So it's oh. not the phone number so much as the – it's like a calling card. Remember they were talking about this? I'd forgotten all about these things. Remember we used to buy calling yeah, cards? Yeah, I forgot about them too. Yeah. Yeah, and what's important about it is because remember he's on a phone call for three hours at times. Mm. These are long calls. Yeah. yeah. And then so what he's using is a phone card. So what they're able to do is they're able to define, uh, work out that most of the AT&T phone cards were sold through Walmart. And so then I think there were two Walmarts in or near Panama City and they started doing a bit of research there. Now both the gentleman in Massachusetts and the guy in Kentucky the guy in Massachusetts has access to footage of a Walmart, but it's not over the cash register, whereas the other guy has access to footage where you could actually see someone, they can see when it's purchased, and there's an aerial shot of the person who will become the suspect. And they're like, right, got him, that's what he looks like. Then they're able to go to the other footage and say, right, we can't find the footage, there's nothing over the cash register, but can we find this person in the, you know, the car park of the city and they're able to do that. So they end up with like a long shot and then an overhead shot of the person that they believe is responsible for purchasing these AT&T phone cards. Yeah, and it's through that Walmart footage that they're able to do that. What they find is in the long shot where he's coming into one of the stores, you know, they can see what it looks like, his hair slicked back, got dark glasses and whatever else, but he has trousers on that have what you'd call a braid down the side. And the braid initially think, oh, my God, he's, it, it's a policeman. It's actually someone in the force. This guy's like in a uniform, no. not in a full uniform. You know, like imagine you've just done a shift, but he's got, you know, a braid down the side of his pants. So they start doing a little bit of research and they find out actually, no, it's not a policeman. It's someone who works in the prison system. And ah. as you'll sort of be aware, you know how a lot of it's privatised? So he screw. works for screw. He works in a <laughs> a private security firm, but works within a prison a within, company, a correctional, but, within a correctional yeah. facilities. Yeah, and those pants that he's wearing are actually correctional facility, you know, security pants. Buddy and his mate from Massachusetts take a flight down to Panama City, and they're going down there to speak to. I think there are three different prisons or correctional facilities Prisons, within the area. Yeah. They go to the first one, no luck. And the second one, they walk in and, you know, they've got their footage of this guy and they go to the human resource department and say, oh, you know, we're police, we know we're looking to speak to this gentleman. And someone looks at it and says, right, oh, yeah, I know who that is. That is David Stewart, David R. Hmm. Stewart, actually. And they're like, and they're like, oh, he's... He's, so he's they like, do you detain him and strip search him? Oh, you can go get him now. He's, he's just down the hallway. We'll go get him. So the police are, like, pumped. They're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't believe it after all this time, after all these calls. Although it was quite funny when Buddy talks about it, he's only been looking for three months with the guy who's been doing it for 10 years and the other guy had been looking into it for a number of years. He's like, you know, I've been doing it for You're expecting him to say years because I've been looking for three months. You're like, mm. oh, three months doesn't sound that long. But anyway, they bring him in. And they say to him, you know, is this you? He's like, yeah. And at one point he says, what? you know, it wasn't yeah. me. Then they say, well, you know, we've got you buying the cards. And he goes, did anyone get hurt? And they're like, well, no, well, did anyone die? He's like, oh, no. And then he says, oh, thank goodness. And then he goes, has nothing to do with me. 
And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, it's not me. It's got nothing to do with me anyway. So he denies it. So they then get a warrant to go and have a look at his abode, which he lives in like a, well, it's sort of described as, well, it's a very rundown area with sort of, you know, sort of trailer homes, not a trailer not park a trailer per park, se, yeah. but, but, you know, really they say that people who live there don't really have a lot to do with anyone else. Like you kind of want to be there and keep to yourself. But it says that he, and I don't know that they were there, this is where I get a bit confused, but he, he was a married father of five. But when they went to look at the house, what they found out was that he was totally police obsessed. He had applications for police forces. He had applied for um, police forces and his mm. application forces were everywhere, like, They'd done it numerous times. He had hundreds of policing magazines. He had uniforms and other sort of policing paraphernalia, guns, you name it, anything that was about police, power. You could imagine just the kind of guy you'd want looking after you, right, if you needed a, a police officer. Thank God he wasn't. And as Buddy says, he was looking for the smoking gun and they did find the prepaid phone calling card. So they were super, super excited and they were just trying to hope that it could be linked to the calls of either out of Mount Washington and also the, the other investigator who was coming in from Massachusetts. But then things take a bit of a turn, not necessarily for the worst, but, you know, surprisingly, nobody seems to want to charge him. So these police officers saying, right, well, we've got the car, we know his, but everyone's sort of like, well, what are you going to get him on? He hasn't, he hasn't raped anybody. What's he done, really? You're saying he's made some phone calls. So it was quite tricky at that point to get a warrant to extradite him to Kentucky. But as Buddy says, his ass is mine and honey, pack my bags. You know, we're going to bring him from Florida back to Kentucky. And they are, do they do. They honey, do pack my bags. Get an extradition. Hold my, my beer. I'm off to extradite this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the follow-up That's the lead into Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> they do bring him back to the county jail in Kentucky. But... At that point, as Buddy says, that's when he got a big dog defence attorney and then things get a little bit shaky after that. So the attorney is contacted by David Stewart's brother and he's like, right, well, it'd be very difficult to sexually assault somebody on the phone. I'm happy to take this case. This is, you know, this is bullshit. Yeah, so initially this. the bail was set for five, well, half a million dollars, which is super high. That is a high bail, And as yeah. he said, you know, he'd never, he didn't have a speeding ticket, nothing, no history, nothing. And so they've obviously done that because they thought he'd be a flight risk and being so far away from home in Florida if he was released. They then lower it to $100,000 and he's he is released. He gets out on bail and he's gone. So well, he does a runner. He's gone as in he does a runner? <laughs> no. No. He's just out of no, jail. No, he's just out of right. prison, just out of the county jail. He's yeah. out on bail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what then happens is it all gets a little bit disappointing, really. Well, it depends. It depends if you think disappointing is... Someone doesn't go to jail. On, mm, yeah, okay. or whether or not mm. it's... A cometh-upperance. Who is actually accountable mm. for this. Because at that point when he's in Kentucky, he could have been potentially looking at 15 years in prison because they had him, they charged him for impersonating a police officer Mm -hmm. and also solicitation of sodomy. And that was the one with Walter Nix. What? Solicitation of sodomy. So, so Swatty, that's kind of escalated quickly, but a policeman has said to somebody, (laughs) what you now need to do is put your cock in the bum of this person because we think they might have committed a crime. (laughs) And the person's gone, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We want you to look for the $50 note with your dick up their bottom. Yeah, yeah. One of the the things that they had people do. the only way they detected is with your penis. Lick other people looking for what? traces looking of drugs. to see if they would turn green for drug residue. But they, oh. they, they said if they put their hands on them, they were sweating, or they did, you know, if they touched their. I mean, I I'm it's laughing, awful, but I'm like, so far fetched the shit they were doing. It's so fucking ridiculous, right? <laughs> oh. I mean, to turn around and say, did anyone get hurt? Did anyone die? If you literally were the person that encouraged a per, a man to assault this young girl for whatever purpose. Uh, yes, someone got hurt. Yes, something terrible happened. Oh, oh, it's that vile. You? This poor girl. It's vile. Yeah. So they, they posted bail and at that point they were still really confident that they would get a conviction and Buddy was like, you know, Go home, go for a walk because you're going to be locked up for a long time anyway. Anyway, it, it didn't transpire that that was the case. Um, mm. 
So as I said, he faced up to 15 years prison, but on October 31st, 2006, he was acquitted of all charges. Both the defence and the prosecution attorneys speculated that a lack of direct evidence, such as a recording of the caller's voice, might have led to the jury mm. finding him not guilty. So he remained a suspect in similar cases, but that there was, insofar as they know, t- 2004 was the last time that there was a scam call by the strip search phone call scam. That's the crime, but what I found in some ways, I'm not saying it's more criminal, it, it's it's also seems to be criminal, is the way that McDonald's handled it. I found that really interesting. And, Wash their hands of it, I'm sure. Uh, well, it's it's again how they go into the mode of, you know, some in some respects, you know, they are somewhat responsible, in other respects, no, but hear me out, this is what sort of happened afterwards. So unsurprisingly, Donna Summers ended her engagement with Nick's pretty much uh, Walter Nick straight after the incident and she was fired from McDonald's no. for violating corporate policies prohibiting prohibiting both strip searches and for allowing a non-McDonald's employee to enter the restaurant's office. So that would be Walter Nick's. And the restaurant staff. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I think she should have got worse, but anyway. She entered a, oh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah, a no, single no. count of unlawful imprisonment. Oh, no, she got she, to a single count of unlawful imprisonment as a misdemeanor and she was sentenced to one year probation. Mm. The person, mm. Kim Dockery, who was the and assistant what happened manager, to Walter? was transferred to another occasion. Walter Nix pleaded guilty to sexual abuse, sexual misconduct and unlawful imprisonment. The judge agreed to a plea deal for Nix in exchange for his testimony against David Stewart. And due to the level and length of his involvement in the physical crimes, he was actually sentenced to five years in prison. Good. I also Not saw another gentleman so actually did time. interviewed, and I Sounds can't like did, yeah. find yeah. much about this because it was actually the documentary, but I don't have it sort of, I can't find it in writing. But it was a man was interviewed who kind of did some stuff like Walter Nix. And he worked again for one of these chains that I don't I don't recognise. It must be like a really small sort of US based one. And took the call, took a a, a girl in, and the accidental rapist. Yeah, accidentally raped her. Went home, mm. felt terrible. You know, ended up arrested the next day. But he said it it had totally destroyed his life. He said, you know, I've lost most of our friends. He said, really, the only people that believe me are my family. And again, he also was. He got like a, a small sentence, I think, based on what he'd done. And he was, you know, he, he was very honest about what had happened. He, he, he said exactly what he had done. But, again, totally fooled into thinking that it was, well, I don't know if fooled the right word. So, of course, this must bring about some lawsuits, right? Three years after the incident, still undergoing therapy, Louise Ogburn sued McDonald's for $200 million for failing to protect her during her ordeal. Her grounds for the suit were that McDonald's corporate headquarters were aware of the danger of a possible hoax because they had defended themselves against lawsuits over similar incidents at its restaurants in four other states. Hello, I could not agree more with this. Uh, How was this not communicated? Why was there not a poster in every bloody office saying this is Uh happening, don't listen to any of this? Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's the bit that I just It's a franchise. They have a head office. They communicate. Promotions and deals yeah. to every franchise every five minutes. Yes. Why can't you say, mm. FYI, we've got a problem? If someone's here. asking you to put your fingers inside someone, maybe don't. Yeah, this mm-hmm. could be a bit of a red flag. Mm. If someone's well asking you to jumping jacks in the news. That's great. Um, and they also said that McDonald's had been subjected to similar hoaxes at least two years before the Mount Washington incident and they had not taken appropriate action as directed by their own chief of security as he had outlined in his memo to McDonald's upper management. So it was on record. He'd said what they needed to do. It was not news. So when this happened to Louise, that was already, people were already aware of this stuff. Upper, you know, Two upper years. Church. You had plenty uh, yeah. of opportunity. Yep, yep. Donna Summers also sued McDonald's, asking for $50 million for failing to warn her about the previous hoaxes. Fair enough. McDonald's based its defence on four points. One, Summers deviated from the company's management manual, which prohibits strip searches, and therefore McDonald's should not be held responsible for any action of Summers outside the scope of her employment. Two, workers' compensation law prohibited employees from suing their employer. Three, 
Walter Nix, who actually performed the acts, was not a McDonald's employee. And four, the victim did not remove herself from the situation. How could she if she... To common sense. Now, I've seen this. This is is Louise Alton and I've seen her on the, you know, when you're being examined. Interviewed. Interviewed. No, no. Oh, on the stand. Uh, On on the stand, that's weird. On the stand and McDonald's uh, attorney says to her, there was a period of time when she was alone in the room, I think it was for about 10 minutes, and as part of her incident interrogation, they said to her, so you're alone for like 10 minutes and the door was unlocked, so why didn't you just get up and walk out? And she's like, well, I, I, I believe it was going on. I had no clothes on. Remember? I was nude. Why were her clothes My shoes were outside in my car. Well, so you could have your cars later. So I, couldn't I couldn't leave. access I them. had to walk through a full, there was no other way out. She had to walk through a full McDonald's restaurant naked. Naked. But I don't yeah. even think she thought that was an option at that point. I think she was just, you know, I of mean, what course. are you going to do? Get yeah, up and go, yeah. oh, I've, I've just been raped at work in the back, you know, office. I don't think people mm. necessarily believe yeah. it. But what are you up to? Why you got your gear off? Like, I can't even imagine what would be going through her head. No. But they actually said that to her on the stand, which mm, I just think sure. is so unfair. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the civil trial. Do we have a name again? for the McDonald's lawyer? No. Just so that when we get to sentencing, <laughs> I've got someone to. I think. I think the first three points are kind of okay, though. There's elements of that where you go, well, yeah, maybe Donna, yeah. you know, you don't deserve what you're asking for. But Louise, are you kidding? They've absolutely Louise is where failed. the problem is, right? Yeah. I think that's important because, as I say, that's what Donna, Donna Summers has said. But, yes, Donna Summers' experience was very different to Louise Ogburn's. So, yeah, I yeah. totally take that. The jury decided yeah. that McDonald's and the unnamed caller were each 50% at fault for the abuse to which the victim was subjected. McDonald's and their attorneys were sanctioned for withholding evidence pertinent to the outcome of the trial. In November 2008, McDonald's was also ordered to pay uh, legal fees to the plaintiff's lawyer. On November 20, 2009, the Kentucky Court of Appeals upheld the jury's verdict but reduced the punitive damages award to summons to $400,000. Uh, while its position was pending in 2000, Ogborne settled with McDonald's for $1.1 million and abandoned her claim for punitive damages. After the court decisions, McDonald's revised its manager training program to emphasise awareness of scam phone calls and protection of employee rights. Why was that done after that? Just on a final note, there are a number of places that this story has cropped up. One is a film called Compliance and it's you know, a somewhat fictitious version of events. But the reason the movie came to be is because the director is a gentleman called Craig Zobel. And apparently it played like Sundance Film Film Festival and someone got up and said, oh, this is crap. But then other people got up and started cheering saying every young person in a job should actually be exposed and see it. And the person who is director is someone who went on, is the guy who went on to do Mayor of Easttown. And I thought I found, yeah, yeah, which I thought was brilliant. And I thought I haven't watched the movie and I don't know that I'm going to, but it was that idea. He said, I found it really interesting. I wanted to talk to and about this idea of people in fear of authority, fear of doing the wrong thing, you know, people who use power to keep people where they want them, get them to do, you know, to be compliant. So I've, I thought that would be probably a very interesting watch. Then there apparently, and I need your special, special yeah, special effects, your for uh, Laura Norda Special Victims Unit. <gasps> well, can you believe this? In 2008, episode 17 of season 9, Robin Williams, rest his soul, he got in touch with, through a friend and said that he wanted to be in an episode of Law and Order. So he is, they, they do a version of and he plays the character which is the detective. He does the voice for what would be the... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there you go. That is the story of the strip That's a heinous story. phone call scam. It is ridiculous, isn't it? But it's, you oh. know, I think it's one of those things where certain circumstances have to prevail for that to go ahead. You have to make sure that 
you're speaking to people who respect a chain of authority within a community, within a workplace, with all these things. When, when, and it just takes them to go with one thing. And all of a sudden, they're on a path. Everyone goes, oh, how can this be? This is absolutely ridiculous. And I just think, oh, my God, you really got to have your wits about you or before you know it, you're um, getting people to jump up and down naked you're, for things to fall out of them and lick their bodies to see if they're going to someone to give you a head job. Correct. What? To make, because they were, because that's going to help them. Yeah, it's going to help the police. The only way we're going to solve this crime. Crazy. (laughs) If I was at Sundance and that movie came on, I would be going, this is, this would never happen. Yeah. (laughs) And here we are. Well, that's what I was thinking. That was exactly. Here we are. Anyone you'd like to (laughs) call out, punish, like a nut punch? Oh. <laughs> There's a cast of thousands in this one, really. Of like, I just don't get it. I'm <laughs> sorry. Do we think that the guy who got acquitted, David Stewart, Stuart David, yeah. do you reckon he did it? Yeah, I do. Okay, because he's a bit I of do. a matter with the whole police thing and what have you. No, but so I do probably, think he did yeah. it. I just don't think that there's no... There's no evidence. It's certainly though, not the... a victimless crime, but it's it's just hard to prove it, yeah. 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 But I feel like the jury saying, oh, well, 50% of it's on him for making the call and 50% is on McDonald's. But like who was on trial in that call yeah. in that in that trial though? Like, yeah, yeah. If that was a litigation about the responsibility of, of McDonald's, it wasn't for the jury to determine whether or not the caller was the problem. Mm. It was what percent? Yeah. How much is McDonald's at fault? And the fact that they had prior knowledge for years and yeah. didn't. Yeah. Say, and I'm like, I, I'm not a big fan of whatever her name is, Summers. Donna Summers. Summers. Donna. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of her because I think she's a moron. Yeah. But I can imagine, and as you said, a lot of the sexual stuff happened when she wasn't in the room. So the whole show me inside your vagina bit didn't happen when she was there. Like as a female, surely she would have gone, hang on a minute, this is a step too far. That's right. You know, people go, I'm not comfortable with doing this. I'll just wait until you turn up if you don't mind. She's not going to get away, you know. She's got no gear on. She's, it's a, you know, it just yeah, goes, we're just going to. I'm not going to even take her gear off. No. I just say she's sitting in the office. You yeah. get here when you get we'll here. Wait. If you're not here by yeah. ten, I'm sending her home. Piss off. Exactly. Yeah. I'm out to. I've, I've got burgers to sell. Yeah, innocent until proven guilty. It's not my job to actually prosecute or find out whether this kid's taken no. anything. She hasn't nicked it from me, and this is not an internal security issue. So mm. ring it. Go to her own home if you know who she is. Go to her home and pick her up there. But you know how, Police. like in a lot of these places, they have like a little, um, like a little poster or a card or something. Do with like a tick boxes. If it's if it seems like a phone scam, it probably is. Yeah. 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 Yes. It, it reminds me more of you know those things you see on Facebook where it says, "Should I have wine or something?" Yes. Or if if no, then you know. Um, oh, but yeah, do yeah. you want a wine? A yes. Here, yeah. Then have a wine. You know, like is this a scam call? <laughs> yes. But have they asked you to get somebody naked? (laughs) Then yes. Yeah, but just a ridiculous one where you go, this doesn't make sense, but still do it. Have they asked you to look at their vagina? But still do it. No. Yeah, yeah. Have they? Yeah. Have they asked you to lick their body to see if they've got drug residue on them? Is it reasonable that a police officer would ask you to to get them to perform oral sex? Yes, then perform oral sex. No. Really, though? Are you sure? Because... Like, what? Like, of all the things that he was asking, <laughs> being asked to do, sort of the, there's a line that says, okay, show me your hooch because the, you might have a $50 note up there or whatever, right? You know, what's, what was the name really? of that show? I didn't even see that, but. Bangkok Hilton. Do you remember it was Nicole Kidman? Where I yeah, remember yeah, someone, yeah. she hit a key or yeah. something up her, her parts. No, I'm just saying, yeah, in yeah. the realm of like, what you could in this sort of process of almost like a light brainwashing that's happening in this, right? Well, I'm a policeman. You have to listen to me. I'm very calm. I'm responding in this way. And, okay, so now you got to check if she's got something hidden in her bits. That's one thing. But going back to what is the point of making her perform oral sex on him? Like what are we looking for there? That's the bit I, I'll just go, well, Control. clearly that's a step too far. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get what the he caller is getting out of it. He going, how, can, how far can I push these idiots? Yeah, Isn't yeah. Isn't it awful? Yeah, yeah. And that's I, I how terrifying I also would like to that? know, and I'm sure you don't know it, but what's the success rate with this? Like how many people just go, piss off, idiot, and hang up? 
versus how many people take the call and I go through I don't know because they wouldn't have reported it. I think in those days it probably rate. would have been quite high, the success rate. Yeah. In yeah. those days and that time. I think yeah. now that the I can't proliferation of scamming is so big. I can. Like at 15, I was a front-end controller at Kmart and I had to deal with people who were shoplifting and we'd have to take them down to management and they'd have to be detained until the police got there and all that sort of stuff. That I can get, but someone ringing, never never did we strip search, never did we get them to perform no, moral neither. sex on us. You know, I, 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 don't, I literally no. don't understand at what point <laughs> In my workforce, had somebody phoned and said, this is what needs to happen, <laughs> I would go, oh, oh, well, that makes sense. Okay, let's do that. I don't get it. <laughs> I'll tell you what did used to happen at, at McEwen's. There was a girl that I think a couple of people suspected was a little light-fingered and um, no one took her into an <laughs> office, stripped, stripped her and, you know, sexually assaulted her. What they would do is they would count the takings in the till and see if it balanced at the end of the day. What? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and if it did, then they'd be yeah, like, yeah. and otherwise they would say, like you're $150 short. Do you want to um, tell me why you're $150 Do I spread them? <laughs> yeah. No, even then yeah, it yeah, was like. Right. Do you want to give course. me a blowjob? Just explain right. yourself. You get a, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, look, you know. Give, give me a blowjob and we won't tell anyone, eh? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It was just explain okay, it give all. Give me a blowjob you know, until the, the police it get here. A, but they'll be a while, so take your time. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I'm not sure of, because we're talking about the fear of authority, was there ever any yeah. anything you came across that suggested that the caller was saying, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen to you? Or was it all just... Yes, but in a very calm, non-aggressive way, very professional. So it was always like, yes. To Donna Summers and to Walter or just to Louise? Generally, everybody that I, everybody that they were threatening everyone, Yeah, But in a very calm way. Mm. Yes, it was a very even. It wasn't someone like screaming down the phone or being aggressive. It was that very authoritarian kind of what you'll need to do is this. I now need you to do that. He had apparently an answer thing. And in some instances where they spoke to the victim as well, the victim could hear. So the victim was also part of understanding why it had to happen that way. So for Walter, if if he says, and and if at any point does someone say, no, that's unreasonable, I'm not going to do that, does he then say, if you don't do that, you will go to jail? Or, you know, is there any of that kind of direct threat or is it literally just that he's coercive and they go? I, th- I think there is a little bit of that, but not not necessarily directed at if you don't do this, this is what happened. It's more a case of this needs to happen and it will happen this way, yeah. which will avoid this happening yes. down the track. Or then you don't, because one of the things that they did was, and I don't think it was to Donna Summer, but one of the situations I heard described as they had the girl in front of them and they said, you can either, we've, we're busy, and I don't think this was Donna Summer, it was another one, you can either do the strip search there or you can come down and have it done at the, you know, the, the police station. So the girl's gone, oh, well, I'll have my boss do it, obviously, you know, I know her. That was yeah. the kind of thing that was done. It was very clever in the sense that it wasn't going, if you don't do that, you have to come down here. It's like, I'll give you the option because you're going to take that option. So yeah. it was that kind of being led into certain scenarios. Very clever. Well, I think we've got to get to some form of sentence. And I think that, yes. you know, many for many, many years people have talked about what various things in McDonald's are made of, like the nuggets and the milkshakes, <laughs> you know, they're like milkshakes, congealed yeah. fat. fat. I don't know what they're meant to be yeah. made of, some kind of yak fat. fat and, yeah. yeah, yeah, all right, yak fat. Yak fat. And, the, you know, nuggets were all like lips and assholes all squished together and reformed. So I just have always imagined this giant mincer. So I think our mate, the fiancé, Ronald, was it Ronald? Like Ronald McDonald? Nick's? Walter. Walter. I don't know where I'm getting Ronald from. Walter, Nick's and his too easy to spring from his pants penis can get thrown into a giant mincer because whether he's an accidental rapist or not, there got to be a point where you say this isn't right. And, uh, you know, I know that there's the psychological experiments of I think it's Stanley Milgram or whatever that I've talked about before about pressing the buttons and electrocuting Mm. people and all that jazz. But this 
to me. You've, there's got to be, even that, like the janitor knew. It's like, I'm not doing that. No, nah, the yeah. cook, I'm not really part of this bullshit. Other people stepped out. I mean, to be honest, they should have also said no and hang the phone up and, you know, check with management earlier, but whatever. As for the McDonald's attorney who thought yeah. it was all right to victim blame. Blame, yeah, yeah, yeah. To say this girl, you mm. know, well, you could have left. Yeah, I, I just kind of want to... I just want to strip him and put him in an environment full of sex-starved people who aren't going to take no, you know, just to put it frankly, and just say, you could have left at any time. Door's over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The door is open, but you got to get past. Yeah, 50 blokes who will quite happily service you. Off you go. But the door's there. You can get out. I, that, it just boils my blood, that sort of thing. I can never get her name right. And Donna. Donna Summer. Donna. Summers. Is it, is it Donna Summers, right? Yeah. Donna Summers, I think, should not have had any settlement. Disco she, Diva. Disco Diva should have just, you know, disappeared to somewhere in embarrassment at how ridiculously stupid she had been and what a failure of her duty of care for her staff that she had perpetrated and not tried to claim money and blame everyone else and should have just basically apologised profusely forever to poor Louise. Who Could else you imagine being in in Donna's shoes and thinking the right person to call now would be my male fiancé to come in here and look after a naked, it's, yeah. no. stripped sort of 18-year-old no. girl. Who do I trust what, yeah, with, a, a, yeah. with a naked, lithe, pretty 18-year-old girl Who's that? Well, not office. even that. I wouldn't care if she was... I, I, well, that's what they described her as slight. You know, they picked oh, yes, yeah, yeah. one. Of course, they of picked, course. They didn't say, bring me out the fat 40-year-old lady, <laughs> you know, with blonde hair. They didn't pick me. They picked the young, look good-looking girl to do You'd it. You'd be like, do you want to have a look while like, I get my gear off? No worries. Keep Mom, it on, love. On. Keep it I'll on. Show Keep you. it on. I'll show you what's up there. What I could do is a couple of star jumps. Would <laughs> you let me bend over and cough? <laughs> <laughs> No, they didn't oh. choose my stereotype. They chose her yeah. and they chose it on purpose. Yeah. So I also think at any point she could have said, go and put your clothes on. This is not making me comfortable, darling. Let's just wait until the if, police get if here. If I've got I to get enough. my husband yeah. just, I'll go get your or my fiancé, yeah. put your clothes on and yeah. we'll wait for the police and then yeah. we can do the strip search again if we have yeah. to. Like, it, it, you know, yeah. these are people who are... Or even if they'd said, like, like, put a uniform on her. If someone puts something on her, dress her, just put her clothes on, we'll just wait for the police. And, I mean, the amount of time, three and a half hours. Yeah, three hours. You're so busy you can't come down here but you can stay on the phone for three hours. Yeah, what was he, a dispatcher? Piece off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyone else to sentence Schmitty? They can all go in a giant mincer. Yeah, I think Over they, I you. like the mincer. So the caller, David, I think yeah, David he Stewart. needs to go David to Stewart. David Stewart. I keep so I got confused with David Stewart. It's it's all these celebrities in this story because Dave Stewart is the guitarist from the Eurythmics. From yeah. Eurythmics. And so I was going to say Dave Stewart. I'm like, oh, no, I've got this wrong. We can't have Donna Summer and Dave Stewart in the same story. David asked you. Here we we are. We do. We do. (laughs) But so he, I think, needs to go to Shawshank. And do you remember the sisters in Shawshank who were the blokes that used to try to rape Andy Dufresne all the time? I want him to be a prisoner in Shawshank and be the victim of, the sisters because then he can get a little bit of what he's making happen to other people. So that's my sentence for him. I don't think they tried to rape Andy Dufresne all the time. I think they successfully raped him all the time. They Mm. they absolutely did, yes, but they tried a lot more than they succeeded. And it was horrific, Um, but, you know, I'm a bit on the same page with that. And with the McDonald's attorney, yeah, yeah, he can go there too. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy for you to chuck him in there with that as well. So Donna, I... You know, I think someone, as a manager, you generally have to have a level of care and empathy for your employees. And to just go, you know what, somebody's phoned and said that she might have stolen something, therefore I'm going to get her naked. I'm going to keep her naked for three hours on my watch, (laughs) you know, blah, blah, blah. I just go, what are you talking about? You know, happy to work with you, but we're going to have to do this in a way that is reasonable, you know. So, So I think she is completely devoid of that kind of care that you should have for your employees. And the fact that yep. she got $400,000 from McDonald's, I mean, Louise is the victim. 
give the money to Louise. Don't don't try to profit from what's happened to someone else because sure you you know you lost your job and you bloody well should have because you were almost complicit in a crime really. Walter in his five years, I mean you know he can probably get a little bit of sister action as well. Maybe he goes to Shawshank. It's just such a messed up case. Anyone else we should sentence? There's not much more that I can sort of, well, there's not much more that I can add because I think that if I was going to focus on, you know, given the information that I've presented, because I mean, there's so much more that I just simply don't have the detail on. At the very heart of it for me is this idea that when people lose sight of other people being people, you know what I mean? Like an employee, a friend, a young person who works for you, at what point does your moral compass click in and you go, oh God. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't feel right. I doesn't. I have to do what's right. You know, not what I'm being told. I that scares me terribly. This idea yeah. that oh well, I, you know, I was told this, so I'm going to violate you like this. Are you becoming, you know, not human? I just can't really. And how easy it is. Yes, and that's exactly right. What took a phone call? Not even someone standing in front of you in an authority, authority, authority position, but someone on a phone, a voice saying that to you, one single person. It's not even like you were in a peer situation. I don't know. I, I think that there has to be something sort of said for David R. Stewart because to me it feels very clear that he was the person who was responsible for the calls. You know, everything, all roads led yeah, to him yeah. in terms of it, purchasing the cars, being able to be identified, people knowing where he was, the card being there, the obsession with the police. All of the things fit together very nicely. And then there's not a great deal that they do to talk about him. So I feel like I, of all the people, I feel like I know more about the victims than I know about, you know, him as the perpetrator. So I would, I'd like to know more about him than I do, but surely there has to be something about him and his desire for power and authority and to make people do things that he wants that, you know, surely the, you know, punishment for him would have to be the reverse of that where he was in a situation probably with police officers, to be honest, who just, I don't know, thought he was less than nothing and Well, you've got to be careful because that's what Ed Kemper was and he turned out to be a serial killer. So yes. it's a fine line. Mm, let's just put him in a box. Then he can't be a serial killer and he can't do anything and no phones for him. No phone for you. Mm, no phones. Yes, no. so there we go. That is I'm crazy, I'm surprised hey? there's not a TED Talk on that episode. <laughs> Wow. All right, Swanee. Well, that was extraordinary. But, you know, as always, you you do bring us some of the weirdest stories ever. So thank you again Mm, for another one. My pleasure. Well played, Swanee. (laughs) And as we say every week, miss you already. Ciao. Ciao. Ta-ta. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.